0: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective.
1: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a Triad production. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor. In today's episode, we'll resume our conversation with Michelle Haley and our conversation about anger and anger management. In our last episode, we discussed the experiences of anger the root causes and the patterns of conflict and the biological response we see in the brain. The hope lies in developing awareness around the root causes, ways that we can learn to manage our angered responses and in the brain's neuroplasticity, allowing us to create new pathways that can change this behavior. We'll resume our talk today on ways we can develop an awareness of our relationship with anger and the ways that we can successfully manage it and ideally grow from it. When we're thinking about that piece of it, And we're talking about kind of joining and kind of normalizing some things. The last thing people expect is for their anger to be normalized, Mm. not condoned, because if it's destructive, it it can't be condoned. But when we're putting an understanding that it's there for a reason, what if we kind of seek to try to understand it? And often anger being so ingrained within someone's being, they're unconscious of it, even being a part of them. And because of this kind of uh, unconscious quality to it, they're so adept at using anger, as we mentioned before, kind of as a protector, they often lack the awareness and even empathy towards how others around them are being impacted by their anger. Mm -hmm. How do you maybe bring someone's awareness that they have an anger issue when they may not see it themselves?
0: Yeah, that can be, that can definitely be trippy. And so I find motivational interviewing techniques can be really helpful. Yeah. Just like exploring with the person, how they're relationship with anger, if they, you know, if they see any sort of ways that has impacted their, their lives socially, or, you know, even with themselves, they may notice they might not be able to verbalize it. They may not have the emotional vocabulary, but they may notice in their body, their heart gets tense or physiological symptoms. And so just being really curious, asking them questions in a non judgmental way and exploring with them their own relationship with anger. I think can be really helpful but it can be tricky if they are not conscious of it and so sometimes what we see is that people in groups come because they're mandated and there was some sort of situation that happened where they were incarcerated and they were mandated for an anger management course or whatever it may be.
1: Yes. I find sometimes that you put it like that those courses oftentimes are are so educational some may not even know that what they're doing is anger so you know yeah. it's it's almost like someone who has a substance abuse problem and they say um well, yeah, I've, I, I lost my driving privileges and I lost my job and my family kicked me out, but I don't have a substance abuse problem. Right. And they don't know what they don't know about what they're in. And so a lot of times it's saying maybe with a person that's dealing with an anger issue, well, there's physical violence. People are in, your, in your home are getting beat up or they're hurt mm. or there's verbal violence. You're using words that you know are really destructive and hurtful. Or maybe there's a cycle you're telling me, maybe you're not hearing it yet. Or maybe you are, like you said earlier, with a guy that broke into the car, he used some substances and, and they may not associate those with anger related issues until they maybe for the very first time learn that, wait a minute, you mean that these are some of the signs and symptoms that I'm dealing with something that I didn't even recognize? The answer is yes
0: right and what i find too something about speaking to those symptoms as it relates to other people well what mm-hmm. does anger look like in other people and then they can often identify what that looks like and so it takes sort of the judgment all, off themselves that's which very can cool
1: help. can you give me an example i really like that idea can you think of an example that where you kind of work almost in just you know in displacement? Tell me about that.
0: Yeah, that it comes up a lot because sometimes what happens to alleviate that feeling of shame or judgment, sometimes a patient can say, Well, I remember a story when someone did this. And so it's like, tell me about that. What about that looked like anger? How did they show up? And how did that serve them? And so sort of exploring it through these other relationships, Mm -hmm. sometimes those connections can be drawn.
1: Really good. Really good. You talked about kind of, a bit of an offshoot of that. You talked about kind of maybe being in a group and helping, let's say, men. We don't all the types get socialized very well to process our emotions. And sometimes we have a hard time identifying. And yet the very thing we're taught or encouraged to try and do is get in touch with our feelings, but we never learned how. So we're oftentimes at a, at a loss. But you're talking about how anger can often be. And more times than not, I find it. There, there's a place for justified and righteous anger. Yes, mm. there is. But more times than not, anger is a secondary emotion. You know, it's Mm -hmm. easier to be angry than it is to be in touch with what what I'm feeling more at a deeper level. It might be sadness or hurt or disappointment, fear, et cetera. And more times than not, when we're angry, we're usually afraid because we don't feel like we're going to have the control we need to make it through that moment. But how do you find folks reacting when through the trust that gets built with you or in the group that begins to form? When they begin to say you know my my anger really isn't about being angry my anger is really that i am maybe i am sad or maybe i didn't know how to handle that situation i felt really scared what is that like
0: it's so powerful i always sort of explain it as like the iceberg and the uh, the emotion that's expressed is anger and then there's all these complicated emotions down at the bottom like sadness fear and because there are so many deeper emotions it does yeah. feel really complicated and yeah. You know, sometimes it's easier for us. Who wants to feel sad? Nobody really, Seriously. you know? And so of course, why wouldn't you go to anger and yeah. often? And so I find that is so illuminating for people. And and when you pair that really with helping support people expand upon their emotional vocabulary, it's so powerful because they're like, oh, you know, I actually i am. I'm not actually angry. I am sad. <laughs> I am this, you know, and to be able to notice to like there are levels to anger. There's gradations to that feeling experience. And so like frustration, irritability, you know, and, and going up sort of that anger chain. And so it's very powerful to be able to be able to verbalize your experience. And for people who they, when they were younger, they didn't have someone modeling emotions. And so any sort of like frustration was labeled as anger, they just Mm -hmm. then associated frustration with anger. And so it sort of becomes, and sometimes a self-fulfilling prophecy or, and, you know, this makes me think of a group that I actually did with adolescent women at a school and, the school wanted to do sort of this anger management group. And I I have a hard time labeling groups for kids as anger, you know. So mm-hmm. I called it power group about really getting like tapping into your power to express yourself in order to get your needs met, because that's yeah. ultimately what we're all trying to do, you know. And so a, an issue that kind of came to me right away was that the young women assigned to the group are all women of color also. And they were assigned this anger management group. And so I was like, this is suspect to me. What's, what's going on. And so, in doing the work, we were working on that emotional vocabulary. And that was something that came up is really when we were expanding the emotional vocabulary, a lot of the youth really said like, I am not angry. I'm actually this, but I've just yes. been calling it anger. Yes. And it was really like an aha moment that was, Absolutely. it was powerful for me as well. And then there was this other note that it was self-fulfilling prophecy where a student was almost felt despair because she was labeled as that angry girl. And so like, well, if I'm just going to be labeled this, this is how I'm going to show up. I'm going to be, yeah. be it. This is what it's expected of me. And so I really found it really critical to get teachers involved and do consult. So I did that on the onset. Once I, I noticed who was in the group, I was like, what's going on. So mm. I did consult with all the teachers to find out why was this referral made? What are you mm. seeing? And when I had them also create a a track record of their behaviors throughout the day over the courses of the weeks of the group, there actually really weren't that many behavioral issues. And so it really came down to offering consultation on bias as well, and also supporting positive behavioral interventions in the classrooms. And so creating things like peace tables and yeah. cool, calm down kids and teaching emotional regulation types of skills so that kids had something to access when they were feeling somewhat frustrated and yeah. having a, a feelings chart so they could identify their emotions.
1: I think that's so helpful. You know, we ask a lot of teachers, but it's got to happen someplace and it's going to play out in the classroom. Why not offer some opportunities to do some of these things and to model some of these behaviors and kind of that holding capacity? Maybe it doesn't happen at home. Yep. I also like what you're saying is that there is a lot of shame, oftentimes unrecognized. I'm going to talk about shame in just a moment from Brene Brown's perspective, but you're describing uh, shame right now coming up in the terms of they see themselves, they've been told that they are, they've been punished for, they're in our group because they've got an anger management problem. So what if you can label it, I'm going to be it. Watch.
0: Mm
1: And what's really hard is that some of them feel so despairing because this is my only go-to. This is my one, my one trick pony that I know how to ride and I know what to do with. And for the most part, it keeps me from getting hurt, whether they yeah. whether they're conscious of that or not. It's true. And what I love that you're doing here is you're expanding this idea that when one gets a chance to recognize that their anger is actually a response that they've had to something that it's meaningful and understandable. It allows them to begin to expand their vocabulary, their self-awareness, their self other appreciation to more deeply address these issues that have been missing in their understanding. That's a cool process.
0: Yeah. It's, it's an incredible journey to see. It's very liberating. Absolutely. Great word. And just knowing to like, Anger is associated with so many physical issues and health implications. And so how powerful for us to be able to help support students Mm -hmm. now develop the communication skills and all these important tools so that they don't have chronic health issues. Heart attacks are associated with anger. And so, you know, there's just a litany of physical ailments that many of us already know just knowing that we're helping to support kids early is, is really powerful.
1: You know what you're talking about here too, just just triggering my, my thought is that these are skills that we can learn. They're not something we're born with or not. It's not like height or IQ or, you know, artistic ability. Those are more kind of just, you know, our, our things that we're born with either have or we don't. These things you're talking about here, these are developed. These are part of our, you know, emotional IQ, if you will. And the good news is, and this is the hope I think in part of your message is we just need to learn how to learn some of the things we haven't been taught. We all get to expand and grow. And I bet it's not just liberating. I bet they have some agency being in the world now in a brand new way.
0: Definitely, yeah. Being able to show up in a way confidently, get your needs met, be heard, be validated. Yes. Yeah. And and I mean, there's so many benefits. And a part of that is being able to have meaningful and long-term connections and relationships. Yes. That's that's critical to our our lives and are just being human and forming connections. And if we have anger outbursts and we're not able to sort of manage that, it's very difficult to have meaningful connections and relationships.
1: Michelle, can we park on that just a little bit? That's such a great reminder. Not only people, not only are they angry and these outbursts, but they're lonely and alone more times than not, or they're in a dysfunctional relationship where there's a, you know, there's a compatible diet, you know, dynamic Mm -hmm. in the relationship, abuse, et cetera, everything else. And we, and we know about those things. But there's never true intimacy. There's never true closeness. Yeah. And you're talking about not only are they experiencing all the health-related concerns and the personal-related concerns about, with the anger, but they're missing out on the opportunity to really be in a healthy relationship. Say a little bit more about that part.
0: Yeah. I mean, we all show up on this earth to make connections. And so exactly what you're saying. It's it, what an isolating journey to not have true Mm. meaningful intimacy. And I, you know, I think people, when they don't have the skills, the healthy communication skills to engage in those relationships, it does often create a sense of loneliness, maybe abandonment issues because people are going to leave you. And so that whole spiral of yes. depressive symptoms and it's just so critical for our emotional health our physical health, our well-being.
1: Yeah, I like that. You know as you're, you're sharing these things, you're sharing the stories that are. I, I love stories. It just kind of shades in everything that we're talking about here. You're ultimately talking about how can we encourage people to be vulnerable, in this path, to healing. Brene Brown, she's kind of the you know the guru and and the one of the best researchers out there around vulnerability. She talks about the antidote. But she actually talks about vulnerability, but within the context more of shame. So let me reframe that. She's kind of the guru around shame, but she says the antidote to shame is actually vulnerability. Yes. But vulnerability, when you think about it, is really antithetical a, a, as a thought or as a go-to strategy yeah. with those who've been hurt or traumatized. As they like you said earlier, about being at risk, Yeah. If they're, if they're vulnerable, they're going to be at risk for further hurt, for further mm-hmm. disappointment, and or having to confront some very difficult emotions in order to be freed from this anger. So the path through that, you know, that old story or that old saying that says, uh, you know, you, one door closes and another door opens. And we're talking about, hey, can we close the door to anger and open up another door? Mm-hmm. But what they miss out in saying is when one door closes, another door opens, but there's hell in the hallway. Yeah. And the hell in the hallway right here is about how do I lean into Mm. in order to be free from my anger, maybe to develop for the very first time intimacy in a relationship by becoming vulnerable. The vulnerability is the challenging part, isn't it?
0: And for people who have never had it, they may not even believe it exists.
1: Exactly. And so why? What what are you talking about?
0: Right. And so why even charge forward into that path that feels like you said, it's like this hell, you know, basically to charge through, like why go through all of that suffering to get yeah. to vulnerability it's scary. It's unsafe. It's, yeah. you know, without the guarantee that there's sort of that pot of gold on the other end, like why right. even do it?
1: We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new all-access pass. All-access pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com dot com slash bht. Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today. I would imagine, in, in what I've seen too, just in my own work and other groups I've been involved with, you know, you have to, we oftentimes as clinicians talk about doing the within work before we do the between work. Yeah. Then before we do the among work. Mm-hmm. So what you're encouraging folks to do with you in a you know, a therapy setting setting, whether it's one on one or in a group, is just to slowly and very safely kind of joining them, educating them, right sizing some things, encouraging vulnerability, maybe even expressing some of your own vulnerability where appropriate, yeah. letting them to kind of slowly at their own pace go into that within work. and then to watch maybe some of the between work within the group begin to emerge. and sometimes our first corrective emotional experiences take place within that therapeutic relationship first before they can build the trust to take it outside of that room.
0: Yes. And it sounds
1: like a lot of what you're describing is just that.
0: Well, and that's why, just like you're saying, like group therapy is so powerful because yes. you get to trigger each other and yes. practice it in right. a way where there's somebody supporting the process. <laughs> and I, you know, I was doing an anger group, and there was a break for the holidays, and there was sort of this joke like, "You're leaving us for the holidays exactly. to go back to right. our family." You know, right. <laughs> it's like, right. oh gosh. how dare
1: you? That's yeah, right. I get to you be, this, be to, yeah, that's right. I get to be the projected. Perfect yeah. Of the anger, and I get to experience it. Yeah, let's talk about it. That's cool. Yeah.
0: And so, fortunately, <laughs> that was sort of towards the end of the, you know, so it was almost like this cool intervention to go home, use the skills that you've learned, and then come back. But it's such a cool, process like these groups to be able to give some people the first corrective healthy experience to engage in conflict and so it's really you know like we've mentioned it's really about instilling that trust lowering judgment for people creating you know whether that's humor Going over psychoeducation to really explain it to help alleviate the judgment piece. Like, this is why it's happening. Skill building, whether that's, you know, increasing your emotional vocabulary or identifying your triggering thoughts, looking with your behavioral chain analysis to look where it started, you know, really going through all of these elements. But the group therapy, what I love is the element of the practice. Because going back to that neuroplasticity element we talked about all the opportunities we have for these corrective experiences. Well, maybe at that one point when that needle skips, it'll skip to the healthy pattern. Yes. So, yep. so that's what I love about group, just that opportunity for practice.
1: It's kind of cool to kind of catch it in the moment and say, Hey, wait a minute. Do you see what you just did? Do you mm-hmm. recognize it before the record would go down the other grooves and in the past we watched you kind of do this did you notice what you just did
0: yeah did you do
1: that? what were you recognizing what what was what was the reason for that to then kind of catch themselves being good because everyone with anger man is always used to catch you know being caught being bad right and here we get to kind of catch somebody being good before we get into the resources and some ways people can get in touch with you and find out what you're doing i'd be remiss if we didn't talk about hey is there a go-to strategy that you might give folks about recognizing some of the warning signs, mm-hmm. triggers, things they can do to manage emotions in the moment that can be challenging. Give yeah. us kind of a little go-to strategy.
0: Sure, there's there's a whole bunch, which is mm-hmm. great because sometimes some work better for others, but yeah. a couple that I like to do, one is equip people with the power of timeouts. Yes. You do not have to engage in that moment. You are more than welcome to and I like to name it, sometimes I like to name it something other than timeout because that can sound punitive, but for the purposes of now, I'll call it right. timeout. And let people know like they, because they'll be equipped with psychoeducation that their frontal lobes offline, they'll mm. know, hey, I'll, I'll be able to get my needs better if I come back to this later. That's right. And so really first kind of empowering people about the timeout process, while they work on other types of skills, like five, four, three, two, one is a yes. is a really great one. I love it where you're accessing all five of your senses. And that's better than just the old thing that people used to say, I'm going to count to a hundred or I'll count to 10 or whatever it was. Because when you elicit your senses, you're sort of distracting yourself just enough. Yeah. And yeah. so this exercise is you find five things in the room that you see, Good. and then you you hear four things, and then you look for three things that you feel or touch, and then two is two things you smell. And then one is one thing you taste. Mm-hmm. And so I, just the physical gesture of, you can't see me, see me do this, but it's looking from your line, from your eye to your yes. ear, to your cheek, because yes. you have lots of sensories mm-hmm. here to your nose, to your mouth. And so really practicing that is key actually when you're not mad. Yes. So that it's like that muscle memory sort of thing. So right. when you are mad or you're on your way to getting mad, you can access A tool like that or other type of mindfulness exercise, because if we're thinking about, let's just take the number one to five, if, you know, if you have an anger scale and five is mad, well, if you're feeling like, you know, a two or three, maybe we need to start putting some strategies in place to help support before kind of that frontal lobe is completely offline. So that's one during the time out, you could, you could do a five, four, three, two, one, those sort of exercises. And another is really practicing healthy communication. So there's Mm -hmm. passive communication styles and there's aggressive communication styles. And then there's passive aggressive communication styles and then there's assertive. And so working on skills to help people identify which bucket do you sort of live in or maybe it's all all of them at different points and here are skills and techniques to help support i statements for assertiveness communication so those are really great we do a lot of workshops on communication for Businesses and and things like that to help working with challenging colleagues and so those are skills even as therapists we can remind ourselves I'm sure there's been a time or two with my partner where he's like please use a nice statement you know so not everyone loves that but you know
1: no no in context in context.
0: But I mean, that's just a couple time outs, working on mindfulness skills, knowing when to engage in them good. and also creating a coping list. Because as we know, if the frontal lobes offline, we might be like, I don't have any coping skills, but if you have a coping skill list available to go to, you're going to be more likely to engage in them because you're like, oh, I see the list. I like to do these things. I'm going to do this because I know it's good for me and, and kind of calm down and then coming back to the table. So those those are just a couple. Yeah,
1: helpful. I like those, what you're talking about here is kind of breaking that chain, that 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 cycle that any one of us can develop unconsciously and just follow that path and that groove, but we get to interrupt it and create a new one. I'll I'll, I'll toss one out just cause I've done some of this as well and, and kind of compliment what you're saying here and add, add to it is I use a, a stop, breathe, reflect and choose. Mm-hmm just mm-hmm. stop. And you're talking about in that moment, stop. It's kind of like taking a time out or step away or step out, just stopping in the moment, mm-hmm. recognizing, but you're saying, you know, I've got, to, I've got to train myself outside of that triggering moment. How do I know when I get erupted? Do I start to get that twitch? Do I start to get that muscle tightness? Does my heart yeah. start to palpitate? Do I get those butterfly feelings? How do I know what I'm in in that moment? So I need to make that conscious. Yeah. And then I need to recognize, so the stop need to step away, recognize it, step away, just interrupt the cycle for a moment They take a breath. I like the four, eight, seven, where you inhale for four mm-hmm. seconds, you hold it for eight, and then you exhale for seven out the mouth. So in your nose for four seconds, hold it for eight, and then you exhale through your mouth as slowly as you can in a controlled way. Because in the moment, if I'm getting reacted, I'm not feeling very much control. So I got to control something. What if I control my breath? Yeah. And as I'm doing that in a controlled way, I'm bringing down my heart rate, my blood pressure, I'm opening up and dilating my blood vessels. So there's nice oxygenated blood thrown through, you know, flowing through my system, going to my brain and helping me calm down and turn that fight or flight off, like you were helping us understand earlier. And then reflect, what the heck is getting triggered? Mm-hmm, Why mm-hmm. am I reacting this way? So stop, breathe, reflect. What is being triggered? And if I can name it, like you're saying we can do over time, then I get to the last one is choose. Choose how I want to respond in this moment.
0: Yes. And oh,
1: wow. so I, I love the things you're saying. And maybe always kind of add one more in there. So there's some, there's some ways that we can take those moments. Uh, we're not going to be perfect, mm-hmm. but if we can begin to kind of change the way that we react. So that's mm-hmm. cool. Hey, you know, as we come into this time, I want to just kind of wind down with you giving us some resources, Michelle, about how we can learn more about you and be involved in the things that you're doing. So give us some resources, would you?
0: Yeah, I would love to. I'll also be sending over some links as well. So we'll have that for you on the... Podcast page, but also Together Well workshops are a really great option for communities. And sometimes, like we've mentioned already, we just don't have communication skills. So maybe that workshop on how to work with challenging colleagues or in general, and that can be great. Workshops on how to build self-care strategies. So there's lots of different types of workshops available for communities to have for their schools, their workplaces. Even families, if they wanted, they can book a workshop for their family to learn skills if they're looking for skills. So those are always options. And and just to say the difference between a workshop and group therapy or therapy is that it's more of that top line education Mm -hmm. as opposed to really delving in deeper, like you would do with therapy, which is really excellent at getting to the root cause of issues. So Mm -hmm. I always recommend therapy for that deeper understanding. But if you're just looking for a couple of skills and tools or just some psycho education, workshops can be a really great stepping stone as well. So you would just go to togetherwell.orgs, um, type in a search term that you're looking for. And our mental health professionals who all go through a background track and have at least a master's degree in a mental health field are available on the platform to connect with and and see how they can help suit your needs for your community. Yeah,
1: really good. Well, it's a wonderful site and you guys have, have, have a terrific program with some really well-trained folks providing some great services. And I know that uh, as we're talking about anger today, you know, anger, as we're saying here, it's simply an emotion. One of the many that we've been created to feel like joy or sadness or ecstasy or despair. But at its worst, anger, as we're talking about today, can be destructive. And at its best, as you're also encouraging, it can be informing and directive about how folks can kind of become, develop some agency around that and some control around that. And I so appreciate how you work with this topic area. And what we might even say you're doing is you're helping people free themselves from their sometimes unknown and unaware destructive anger, both to themselves and maybe to those around them. And you're helping them ideally begin to kind of not just recognize that it is anger, but helping them understand the root causes for it and how maybe begin to help heal some of those deeper wounds and open up, like we're saying, an opportunity for a whole new set of interpersonal interactions to occur. And maybe for, and I love this piece you're emphasizing, such a good piece, maybe even some real intimacy to develop Mm -hmm. and be experienced for the very first time in their lives and not having to be angry all the time and alone and lonely with it. Mm -hmm. So cool. So Mm -hmm. Michelle, it's always great to be with you. Great to have you back today. And thank you so much for being with us.
0: Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Graham. Always wonderful to be in conversation with you. It's, Oh, an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank I you. appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. And I also want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Michelle and me today. I, I always appreciate you being with us. And I want to remind you that this episode, uh, along with its resources and our other shows, can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com slash bht. So go check out our webpage, triadhq.com slash bht, and explore our archive of podcasts and resource materials. Thanks again for being with us today, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today.
0: We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.